It's the tip of the spear in the epic battle to defend the United States of America. The National Security Hour exposes the wolves in sheep's clothing and their nefarious plots to undermine and destroy U.S. national security. Hello. This is Colonel Retired John Mills. Colonel Rhett John, Colonel Rhett John. This is the America Out Loud News Network, the national security, and I'm Colonel Retired John Mills, Colonel Rhett John on Substack Getter and Truth. Got an action-packed show. Let's jump right into it. Now, this first one, I think it's with what's going on with Hamas. Hamas works for Iran. Iran works for China. Please do not forget that. We have a challenge here with the Biden team on several fronts and for several matters. Um, but uh, I, I, this is one of the most disturbing stories uh, I, I've seen. Uh, we, we, we know we have concerns with Biden and his son. We now have the FBI FD 1023s documenting possible criminal activity. We have the suspicious activity reports from Treasury. Most um, mortals would be debanked, deplatformed after one SAR. We got like over 100 SARs. We have uh, we have whistleblowers at the FBI, IRS. Now we have six CIA officers. But okay, but now we have something uh, I would say just as bad, maybe worse. And it's the penetration of the Biden's Iran team. And I just we need to have alarm bells going off. But the chief personality is somebody named Rob Malley, who, who was the State Department Special Envoy for Iran. Now, not totally clear what's going on with him, where he's at. He appears to be on an unpaid status, security clearance yanked, but where's the criminal and foreign intelligence investigation? Uh, we got to find out what's going on here. But the whole question is, was there a connection between this Iranian penetration of the Biden's Iran team and the successful initial attack by Hamas into Israel, which again, the chief arsonist is she of China. He is the chief arsonist. Do not forget this. So was this part of a coordinated action to uh, essentially uh, dupe, conceal, hide cover for Iran and allow this deadly attack. We need to know truth on this, but let's just focus on the Rab, Rob Malley story. Now this, you got to go back. This is all based on this mysterious JCPOA, JCPOA. What the world is the JCPOA? Well, I'm about to tell you it's the joint comprehensive plan of action. This has been the Holy grail of the Obama-Biden team since 2014. They were just hell-bent on, on kowtowing to Iran. So we don't even know what the JCPOA is. Uh, uh, we have a document um, uh, that, is, that, is, that is chronicled and reflected by the United States government at uh, tre both Treasury and State Department websites. 
But there, there's been this, I would say, an intentional obfuscation with the JCPOA, as you got John John uh, F. Kerry saying, well, it's not really our document, it's the UN's document. And I think it's just egregious and obnoxious. A senior State Department official said in 2015 that JCP, the Joint Comprehensive Plan of Action, JCPOA, is not a treaty or an executive agreement, and it is not a signed document. Well, then what in the bloody world is it? We're spending all this time and resources on the JCPOA, and it's not a, uh, it's nothing. It's it's like a show about Seinfeld show about nothing. This is a tr- a treaty that isn't a treaty. It's a treaty about nothing. I mean, this is the Seinfeld, but it's far more evil and sinister. So if it's not a any of these, why did John Kerry beg Iran to? Uh, not talk publicly that he had been outmaneuvered by Iran on the JCPOA language on missile tests. What is a missile test? Is John Kerry the same guy who said, I was for the war before I was against the war? Is it a missile test? Is it not a missile test? So if it's not any of these above, why was why did he try to, why did he plead with Iran to not even bring this up, that he'd been outmaneuvered and gave away the farm on this? So why Ben Rhodes, the nefarious Ben Rhodes, and this fawning, gushing, infamous New York Times piece from the time, you know, why was he so disingenuous, dishonest about the JCPOA? It's a treaty. It's not a treaty. It's not ours. It's the UN's. We don't even know what's in it. I mean, there's just a lot of drama on this document. Uh, but now we got Biden's lead, Rob Malley, who's an air quote expert on the Middle East. So he's lost his job and clearance so far because of the spy concerns. The, the State Department site, it, it's the the site for the special envoy is void of Rob Malley's picture uh, or anyone encumbering these duties. But State Department, uh, if you look a little further, State Department continues to carry a bio of Rob Malley. Uh, so that shows that the webmaster is not paying attention to the guidance from the front office. So he's still, you got to look a little bit, you still find him on the State Department website. Now he appears to be again, an air air quote expert with broad and deep experience on Middle East matters. However, he's he's at the center of this whole Iranian influence operation. And per the Atlantic, uh, you know, uh, not exactly a, a Trumpian right-leaning journal, oftentimes a voice piece for the uh, the, the blue team. Uh, according to the blue, uh, the Atlantic, the emails look bad, and they're talking about Mali and point toward the role of a nonprofit called the uh, the not the International Crisis Group. Now, in my new book, War Against the Deep State, I talk about the unlawful fourth, fifth, and sixth branches of the government. The sixth being the rise of nonprofits. The rise of nonprofits. So this International Crisis Group. Uh, where Malley had been the president uh, during uh, during the Trump term, and he was there until he uh, enjoy, joined the Biden team. Now he he also had two key personnel placed in with him. This is Ariana Taba Tabi. And she's all over the place. Boy, look up her. You'll meet her. She's at every left wing, the Belfer Center. She's at uh, Center for New American Security. You also got Ali Vaiz, who uh, they're they are they they are under uh, investigation also. <coughs> so they all three of these became U.S. government employees. Not exactly clear what their exact status were. They were they term employees, temporary uh, government employees. Were they HQEs, highly qualified employees? Not clear. 
but uh, um, but they're all part of the that all of them uh, were dabbling with this Iranian-sponsored Iranian Experts Initiative with drew upon a number of personnel from the nonprofit at the International Crisis Group where these three uh, cats were at. So Representative Brian Mast on October 5th, two days before the attack, said demanded answers on these two, Arian Tabatabi and Ali Vaiz. You know, so who are they? Now, Ali Vaiz, now he has a, on X, formerly Twitter, he has a, uh, he posted himself, so he's kind of self-outing himself. Uh, he, he solicited Iranian government feedback on an official op-ed that was to be published, uh, um, and he sent an email to the government, uh, his government counterparts in Iran, and said, I look forward to your comments and feedback. Uh, it's unbelievable. I mean, a pre-clearing an op-ed with a foreign power for publishing, uh, that is pretty unusual, even by deep state standards. And then Taba Tabi, uh, uh, she's all over the place. Belfer Center, you want to look at one of the ground zero of uh, all things blue team, trying to undermine the red team when their red team is in power. It's Bel- Belfer Center at Harvard. So she's she may or may not be the chief of staff of the Assistant Secretary of Defense for Special Operations, ASD Solik, but she's not on the website. Yeah, I they got we got to know the role of these three now. Look, real quick here, a lot of this action of uh, Mali's team and the JCPOA, both during the Obama time and now during the Obama Biden time, took place out of Vienna, Austria, a, a wonderful place, a magical place, beautiful, wonderful chocolate uh, restaurants. It's a total freak show of dysfunction, but they still have nice restaurants and great milk chocolate. Now, both of them are in the U.S. Department of State and Office of Secretary of Defense for Policy. I have a special office in Vienna. It's outside of the embassy. I was looking at the address and, <laughs> excuse me, what do I see on the same building? Uh, and uh, is Huawei. Huawei. So in the exact same building of this special uh, the exact same building is a special office, Huawei. Isn't that a coincidence? But Huawei is a well-known haven for spies, has been for years, ever since the end of the Cold War. Uh, it, but the situation has really been spinning out of control there. The U.S. office in Vienna has, is, has, is, and, and, and Vienna has just been crawling with Iranian spies. And I was, I was there on government mission in 2014, and that's not why I was there. I didn't have anything to do with the JCPO Bay, but POA, but you know, already knew that you know, watch out for the spies in Vienna and every single taxi driver. Now I'm not making a racially or insensitive ethnic comment, but uh, every single taxi driver, and I took probably on that one trip, six, seven, eight taxi trips, every one of them was Iranian. Every one of them was very inquisitive as to who I was why I was there, what was I doing? And I, with one of them, I let drop that a member of my Christian evangelical church was a former member of the Iranian army, fought in the war, a terrible, terrible conflict, the Iran-Iraq war of the 1980s, left and converted to Christianity, a, 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 an apostate mark for execution, essentially. And that one taxi driver just about didn't let me out of the taxi, wanted more information. Um, so it was crazy. Uh, but between Iranian spies and Huawei, Vienna is covered by those seeking to undermine U.S. interests. So let's be really clear here again. So we got Rob Malley, 
and his two hench persons, one of you know, I don't know the genders. One of them does look like they're the kind of person who's uses alternative gender uh, uh, names, whatever you want to call that. Um, so, did Mali and an Iranian spy team essentially help cover for the Hamas attack on Israel? And Hamas was was trained and given the green light by Iran. Iran works for China, so this is this has the this has the the fingerprints of China all over. And I I read the operations order found out of the body of a dead Hamas terrorist. Uh, absolutely, I was shocked at the detail, and this 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 just screamed Iran. The Iranians are fastidious about mimicking and copying our tactics, techniques procedures, equipment, weapon systems, aircraft, ships. They 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 just they just mimic us to an extensive degree. So I uh, I think the fingers of Iran is unquestionably now, you know, Jake Sullivan and uh, you know, um, I think um Blanken and both said, "Oh, no, we don't see Iran." Well, I mean, Anytime the two of these open their mouth, they're lying. Uh, uh, Tony Eddie Haskell Blinken was the same cat who ran this uh, 51 Intel officer lie out of the UPenn Biden Center. Remember, I talked about nonprofits, the UPenn Biden Center. Nobody can find the IRS Form 990. Nobody can figure out where who UPenn, are they part of the bigger UPenn? Most universities are, are nonprofits. So are they part of the bigger UPenn? I have the uh, the UPenn uh, IRS Form 990. I can't find UPenn Biden Center in there, and I've asked their lawyers several times about this. So um, at any time, you know, there I immediately noticed over the weekend that there was several breathless on background, and you now just for the for the rank amateur, when somebody speaks on background, and I've actually been asked to do it several times, what that means is you're given official talking points, and you talk to a journalist or journalists, and you say things, and that way the journalist can run out of the room, uh, go to the go to the pay payphone, and call in a report, and say according to a senior government official. And they make it sound like they're Maxwell Smart hiding in the mailbox on the street corner. And they actually found something when it was all contrived and street theater. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's just when when you hear this on background, oh yeah, we told the Iranians, uh, I don't buy it. And part of the House investigation, I'd want to know immediately, just like we'd got to know the intelligence priority stack on October 5th was all things Hamas- Iran, Israel, above or below the collection cut line, above or below. Same thing here. You got the person on background, which about a 90% certainty is Jake Sullivan or Tony Blinken. Uh well, no. Okay, fine. Show us and the Hipsy and the in the in the Senate Select Committee on Intelligence have the right clearances. Show us the exact message that went out, who said what exactly what to who. I, I think it's a total lie. And, uh, you know, just uh, just a broad brush say, oh, Iran had something to do with it. A lie, total lie. I mean, the Hamas, I mean, the, the hop order situation. I mean, we got so much other in, uh, information uh, indicating uh, uh, Hamas as a proxy for Iran. It's just absolutely ludicrous. So uh, don't buy that in the least. Um, and now we got this also question. 
North Korea providing arms and ammunition to Hamas. Got to hold North Korea accountable, China accountable, Iran accountable. And uh, again, ladies and gentlemen, if you don't realize it, uh, fall of 21, China and Russia agreed, signed a no limits agreement to take out America. And Iran and Venezuela and North Korea were part of this. So uh, China also has a very, very extensive presence and influence over Iran. So I, uh, um, um, this is, this is, uh, this is Iran. This is Iran, hundred percent Iran This is hundred percent China. And right now the whole point is to cause bloodshed, mayhem, tie down Israel in a forever war, tie down America in a forever war. We have two of our three forward operating carriers now committed to the East, uh, to the Eastern Mediterranean, we have an ex- expeditionary strike group, an amphibious group uh, of three vessels. One of them already was pulled and sent over to Easter Med. Now the large ship, the Bataan, a small, I mean, a medium-sized aircraft carrier, and the other ship are being pulled to go around and being taken off station from Iran. So she is the chief arsonist, and the Biden team has penetrated. So more on this and more uh, stories coming up. Colonel Rhett Johns, Substack Getter and Truth, also the author of the new book, War Against the Deep State, waragainstthedeepstate.com. Thank you. How can you improve your odds of staying healthy? The answer is stay healthy with Cofix Rx. Who's got time for a cold, strep, a flu, HRV, RSV, or COVID anyhow? Cofix has some great news. Besides being featured as a top five product in the drugstore news, we completed the protocol that you've heard Dr. McCullough talk about. Cofix RX is already famous for a powerful virus hostile nasal solution, and now we have a throat spray too. Crush those nasty germs before they become a problem. With known antiviral support ingredients like povidone iodine, xylitol, and vitamin D3, you can feel a little safer. For a limited time, when you add the new Cofix RX throat spray to your order, you'll receive 25% off the entire purchase. Just click the Cofix RX banner on the America Out Loud website or store. Be sure to use promo code OUTLOUD25 at checkout. Don't forget, OUTLOUD25 at checkout. The pandemic may be over for some, but millions of Americans are needlessly suffering from the long-haul effects of toxic spike protein from COVID-19 and the vaccines. You've heard Dr. Peter McCullough and his team at The Wellness Company discuss the harmful effects of spike protein in your body. And now they found the solution. The miracle enzyme natokinase. Their spike support formula contains natokinase, the most compelling and scientifically supported approach to safely clear spike protein out of the body. What's more, spike support is optimized with other all-natural, non-GMO ingredients, like dandelion root, to help prevent spike protein from binding to your cells. Everyone should take daily spike support so you can feel your best. America Out Loud listeners can go to outloudcare.com today and use code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order. Welcome back. This is Colonel Retired John Mills, Colonel Rhett John on America Out Loud News Network, the National Security Hour. And this uh, next segment, uh, if you want, uh, if you are looking for great news, definitely listen to this segment. 
this is this segment's on the nuclear situation, uh, not getting enough attention. And I don't know how old every one of the listening audience is. I'm old enough where I can say I'm a child of the Cold War. I began my military service right at the beginning of the Reagan era. We were good. They were bad. We're going to put them out of business, make it happen, boys and girls. And we did. It was awesome. It was beautiful. Never forget going to basic training in summer of 83 at Fort Benning. It was incredible. But even that basic training, you know, we taught, we did a lot of work on uh, nuclear, biological, and chemical, how to react to a nuclear blast. You know, put your put your feet to the blast. How to how to handle biological and chemical train uh, uh, exposure and things like that. And we had offense. We had a lot of nukes. We had a lot of nukes. Uh, we had a lot of chemicals. We have no chemicals now. Gone. Our bio defense situation is pretty bad, and our nuclear. It ain't what it used to be. So let's go over the nuclear situation because I don't think enough is said on this. And and again, I'm a, I'm a child of, nucle- of the Cold War. When I g- was growing up, I mean, we had nuclear weapons everywhere. We had uh, close to me was Marymore Park, uh, you, you know, just across the lake in um, Seattle, Washington, and Nike missile base with nuclear warheads, north and south. And and uh, and west nuclear Nike bases. Uh, we had interceptors at Payne Field, nuclear warheads. We had interceptors at McCord, nuclear warheads. We had nuclear warheads for I uh, 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 I Corps uh, at uh, you know the nuclear punch of I Corps and core artillery uh, at uh, Fort Lewis. We had a bomber base over at Fairchild, nuclear weapons. For, one, for a brief period of time, we had a nuclear, we had Atlas missiles at the old Larson Air Force Base, a wonderful, wonderful facility that's still essentially uh, an auxiliary, uh, kept maintained as an auxiliary dispersal field. But Larson Air Force, Moses Lake, Washington, nuclear weapons. Um, we had the, the, the submarine base, uh, Banger. You know, we had uh, the boomers there, but we also had uh, nukes on the ships. We had uh, so we had big magazines and arsenals where we kept uh, kept the nuclear warheads of all the services. We were ready. We were ready. What was it? Thirty five thousand nukes at the the height of our count. I think it was 35, 35, 36, 37,000, something like that. How was it looking today? Not good. Let's go over the first, the American, the existing American force. So this is the as-is state of the American force. So how many nuclear, and I, I got a little matrix here. Um, I'll talk to the America Out Loud team. Maybe we'll figure out a way to post this. But I'll walk through this. And I got this little matrix. There's almost nothing, you know, spending years on the Office of the Secretary of Defense staff, the Joint Staff, the White House. It's almost nothing that can't be solved with a matrix. Almost nothing. A matrix can solve everything. So I got this little matrix. The columns are the delivery capabilities. The rows are the, exist- the existing nuclear warheads. So let's go through this. And a lot of people think, oh, we still have all these warheads. No, no, we don't. By by treaty, which the treaty doesn't exist anymore, uh, the Russians have walked away for the strategic treaty, we were allowed roughly 1,500 warheads. Now, it gets a little, you'd have to kind of parse the language on how many delivery systems were allowed 
because if you have a little more of one, you kind of got to drop in the other one and you add something here, you got to take something here. So that's a little number, but these are the, these are the approximate numbers. The exact numbers are classified, but from public sources, this is what I can come up with. And I'm not read onto this stuff anymore. So I don't have any access to classified sources on this, on these topics. So uh, let's go over the delivery systems first. You want to know how many B-52s we have? We made almost, I think it was 750. My dad worked on the B-52 assembly line. I actually have parts to B-52s down in the basement in the workshop. My dad was a, my dad was a tool maker. He set up the jigs for running the production runs of the different components of the B-52. And we didn't have any of this 3D printing back then. We did it though. It was a real man's job back then. That's where he cut steel, take a huge block, cut it down to a tiny little piece. 98% of it was scrap, you know? So, you know, there's better ways to do it than uh, reduction. Why don't you do building up and 3D printing pretty good? And there's some great schools that have some great 3D printing. And I'm talking about universities. I'll, I'll name one Auburn, great university, great 3D printing program, very sophisticated. But B-52s, are you ready? 76. That's about what we have. Now, I count, and they're all the H models. Remember, we had uh, we had the YB-52, the XB-52, then we had the production run of B-52As to B-52Hs, and it was roughly about 750. We all the all the aircraft that exist are H models, the final model. They're beauties, but where they're flying without tail guns, I noticed. We've taken the tail guns, saves weight, it's one less head maintenance headache. Now we have, I count about 10 in the bone yard. We also got E's and F's that are cut up, cut up by treaty. Makes me want to puke when I see those. We also have G models, which some may be cut up, may somebody, some may not. I mean, they've, they've been cut at the wing spars where they mate with the, the wings mate with the fuselage. It's pretty hard to put those, those babies back together. But uh, we got about 10 that are not cut up, I believe, all H models. We have actually regenerated over the last 10 years, two, I believe, back into flying service. So we have at least 10 we could reintroduce. And they're totally redoing the the B-52 force. Uh, I, I don't know if they've given it a designation, uh, either the I model, but it got totally glass cockpits, new engines finally, um, and they're going to be beauties. And we're going to be flying these suckers, you know, well into the 2050s, 2060s, 2070, because they're very versatile. How many B-2s we got? Looks like 20. I think we did a production run of 22. I think we've had two that were uh, lost in accidents. Originally, the idea was to make over 100, okay? Yeah, so we got 76 and 20. Now you go, okay, what about the B1s? No, those are not nuclear capable anymore, and the at big Air Force hates them. They're, they're just maintenance hogs. They're expensive. Uh, so we got about 50 flying, and uh, but they're not nuclear, not nuclear uh, because of treaty. Um, and, uh, the, uh, um, but I think we got about 30, 40 in the boneyard, but we're really focused on B2, B21, but we'll get to that. How many air launch cruise missile, the old Boeing AMG, AGM 86s were made down in, uh, oh my gosh, not Kent, Washington, uh, next, next stop down in the Boeing in the Valley there in Seattle. Um, but that's, uh, but they also had, I think, I think McDonald Douglas also ran the AGM 86 for red dual production. We got 500 of those 500. And that's a good punch. Good punch. That's a lot. 500. 
how many Trident boats we have that are that are dedicated to the ballistic missile uh, deterrence patrols. We got fourteen. We got four that we converted into super seal boats and cruise missile uh, magazines. Those are awesome, but we only got 14 boats and we got roughly the, the, the D five Trident missiles. And that's by treaty. These numbers juggle a little bit. How many Minuteman threes? Uh, my dad also went, worked on the Minuteman production line uh, after B 52 shut down F roughly 450 of the uh, uh, Minuteman threes, all the ones and twos have been retired and we're single because of treaty. We're single merving those. Those could take up to three. The Tridents could take up to. Uh, uh, geez, I think it's fourteen on each Trident missile. I think we're single merving those because let's go through the warheads. First, the beef, the B sixty one. Now that's considered a tactical nuke. The entire nuclear stockpile is roughly fifty five hundred. So the the number between fifteen hundred and fifty five hundred. It's about four thousand. We got maybe about two to three thousand tactical nukes. The rest are in various various nukes that are in stages of either repair, refurbishment, storage, or being disassembled. B61s, those are the free fall weapons. We're giving them tail kits. The Mark 12s get the tail kits, give them some glide capability. But you still you gotta essentially fly over the target. Not good. Not sure how many we have of those, but that's it. That's a that's a 0.3 kiloton to 400 kiloton range. <clears throat> now the W80 warhead. That's what's on the cruise the Alcom uh, cruise missile. It's five to 150 kilotons. The warhead can be set in that range. Uh, those could be carried by the B-52 and the B-2. So that's the warhead for the Alcom. Now, the B-83 is a free fall. That's our big boy free fall device. That's 1.2 megatons. That's a big boy. That's a big blast, but you got to fly over the target. You also have the W-88 warheads. That's the one on the Tridents. That could go up to 475 kilotons. The W-76 that can go between five and a hundred kilotons. That's also on the uh, on the uh, on the D five uh, Trident. The W seventy eight is the warhead from the uh, for the Minuteman. That's our big boy, one point four megatons. And then the W eighty seven. I think that's repurposed from the old MX cruise missiles. That's between three hundred and four and seventy five kilotons. Again. To immediately add capacity, we could start remerving the Tridents and the Minuteman. Uh, that would send a message. We got to start pulling warheads out of storage. Okay, on future deliveries. Okay, this is uh, this is what we're supposed to build to, but there's a lot of time here. Uh, I'm only going to go over the delivery platforms. We're going to maintain the 76 B B-52s. We're going to, it's unclear how many of the B-21s. They're actually smaller, single bomb bay, but just in the in the uh, analysis of alternatives, it was actually determined to be more efficient to have a small, it looks like the B-2, but it is slightly smaller. It could potentially have more range though, but uh, we don't need the double bomb bay. Uh, we just found oftentimes we're carrying, uh, a lot of times we carry a lot more ordnance than we actually need. The new long-range standoff missile. Uh, okay, the B-21s are going to start to come online in mid the mid-20s. Again, one there's been numbers of 100, 200, over 200, unclear how many we're going to make. we got to roll those suckers out the door. I'd, I'd say 250 minimum. Long-range standoff weapon. That's not supposed to come online until 2030, and that's the Alcom replacement. It's it's still going to use the same nuclear warhead. They're going to repurpose the existing W-80s. I say we need new warheads. Uh, Columbia, that's the replacement. 
The Columbia design has changed. It was going to only carry 12 missiles, then 14. Now I think it's back up to 16 of the old Polaris and Tridents, but it's not going to carry 24. But it's actually a bigger submarine. But we're only talking about making 12 of the Columbias versus 14 of the Tridents. I disagree. I think we need 16 to 18 of the Columbias, and that may happen. But they're not going to start coming online until 2031. We got a huge production gap in uh, bottleneck in uh, submarine production, huge. We're supposed to be producing two now, two a year. We're only going to 1.2. We're going to start making three attack boats and a, and a Columbia every year. That's four boats. We're probably only going to come, be able to come out with about two 1.8 boats. We're way behind. Sentinel, that replaces Minuteman. That's going to be a great missile. Not coming online until 2029. So a lot of these are way off in the future. We need these systems now. We need new warheads. <laughs> we need uh, we need to start producing more warheads, and that's National Nuclear Safety uh, uh, Administration handles that. We got to get the pits going. That's the base of a nuclear warhead. Okay, let's talk about uh, the uh, peer competitor here, and this is the challenge. This is the challenge. Our intel forces have not been really focusing on the Chinese situation. I'm very concerned about this. But the combined bomber situation, as is, China has roughly 20 of the H-6 bombers, which are the old Tu-16 long-range badgers that they, uh, they're making. They ripped off from uh, Russia. It looks like only 20, but I think there's more out there. They're working on the H-20, which is their ripoff of the B-21. Now, Russia maybe has about 120 long-range aircraft uh 15 of the long the big super duper tu-160 that's a, that's like a b1 but about twice the size i only got about 15 and uh the ukrainians have blown up several on the ramp inside of russia got about 42 tu-95 bears and we got about they got about 66 of the tu-22 backfires which are you know i would say smaller than the uh, b1s so combined, they they seem to have a uh, they have a they slightly bigger force, but uh, I think the, the numbers are actually larger. Then let's talk about submarines. the The Chinese have one Type ninety two, which is a little bit of an older bo boat, equivalent to our old Polaris boat. It's an old one. It's up no based up north, and you got six Type ninety fours, which are more like the late uh our later of the forty one for freedom. So they have about seven boomers. The six Type 94s are based underground. I did say underground at Hainan Island in the south. The Russians seem to have seven of the Borai boats, which are big and large. Each of those carry 16. So we may uh, we may have a slightly bigger trident force, maybe. But it's uh, we, we, it looks like they have about 14 boats. We have about 14 boats, but I think our count is a little low, and I think they're hiding a boat or two. Now, um, I uh, long-range ballistic missiles and sea launch missiles. The Chinese have maybe about 150 uh, silo-based, and then they also have a lot of mobile missiles. We don't have any mobile missiles. That's that's a weakness. It's the DF-4s, 5s, 31s, and 41s, but also you got to include the 27, which is a long-range missile with hypersonic warhead. Okay, the Russians have about 124 silo-based. Uh, the Topol, the Satan, uh, the RS-36, the RS-28, and the RS-24. Uh, about 124 silo-based silo and about 198 
uh, mobile one. So they're roughly double the size. Also, when it comes to other weapons, I think you got to include this. Chinese have the DF-17 long range, uh, more like a medium range missile. We don't have any. We either have long range missiles or nothing, but they have short and medium range ballistic missile. The DF-17 is a hypersonic glide in the medium range, but it can reach uh, well past Guam, uh, maybe all the way to Hawaii. Got the DF-16. 26, a targetable that can hit moving targets, i.e. aircraft carriers. Russia also has the Poseidon, a long-range nuclear-powered supersized torpedo with nuclear warhead. That's the uh, tsunami weapon that can blow up at the mouth of one of our harbors. Russia also has the Avangard, a strategic uh, long-range hypersonic, and also the KH-47 Kinzhal air-launched hypersonic, which they've used several times. That's also been shot down with Patriot missiles. So I'm going to kind of wrap it up. That was fast and furious. That's the nuclear count. China and Russia essentially have double what we have. We've been very weak at knowing what's going on with the Chinese force. And uh, we we are really, really behind. We're still using old, old, old nuclear warheads. We need to start new nuclear warheads. We need to, this is a crisis. Uh, we need to get going on this. So that, that's that. Uh, so that's the great news. You, you The bomber missile gap from the late 50s, early 60s, back on steroids. So this is Colonel Rhett John. Uh, please go nationwillfollow.com, uh, the unlawful fourth, fifth, and sixth branches of government, and the, the foundation creation of the mass surveillance state. Uh, I can also get book one, War Against the Deep State, and also Colonel Rhett John, Substack, Getter, and Truth. With the rise of independent media, we are now America Out Loud News. For the genius of the United States is not found in its executives or legislatures, nor its ambassadors, authors, colleges, or churches, nor even in its newspapers or inventors. The genius of the United States is we the people. AmericaOutloud.news, liberty and justice for all. I'm so confused. I don't know what to do. I'm afraid of going to the hospital. My doctor tells me nutrition doesn't work. Trust is earned. We are the Energetic Health Institute, and we want to earn your trust. Natural medicine, holistic nutrition, detoxification, fasting, cellular healing, and so much more. Remember, the best way to be free is to be healthy. So stop being a patient and start being a student at energetichealthinstitute.org. Trouble getting to sleep and staying asleep is infuriating. Your mind races, you toss and turn. Nutrition company Healthy Cell created REM sleep to help you quickly fall asleep, stay asleep, and sleep deep. Unlike other supplements that don't work, REM sleep is not a pill. It's a gel you swallow with ultra-absorption of science-backed ingredients, supporting all four stages of sleep. Go to HealthyCell.com and use code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order. Risk-free. Love it or your money back. Guaranteed. HealthyCell.com. Code out loud. Welcome back, everyone. Colonel Rhett John, Colonel R.E.T. John on the America Out Loud News Network. 
with the National Security Hour. So let's jump right into the next piece. What I wanted to talk about next is uh, with the war that's now raging in the Middle East, what do we have? What phase of the conflict are we in right now? We had an opening phase where uh, Hamas did a very coordinated, sophisticated ground assault. And I think this is what we've talked about intelligence failures of on the American side and the Israeli side. And again, on the Israeli side, I want to be really clear. I don't think this is getting enough attention. Um, I, I think what you have on the Israeli side, Mossad is very good when they focus. They don't have our bandwidth. We have a huge collection activity much of it is wasted and inefficient. Much of it is misdirected. And much of it actually is below the cut line. And we don't actually have uh, either artificial intelligence or trained professionals, if we have any, uh, that are actually processing the raw intelligence into uh, into the processed intelligence. So, uh, And then you have folks like General McChrystal, when he was uh, actually doing a service to the country and not attempting to uh, undermine a uh, a, a presidential candidate, uh, he was definitely a Trump hater. Uh, but his high-value targeting process was brilliant. And oftentimes he just said, hey, just please get out of my way. I want the raw intelligence. I want the raw intelligence. He was very good at it, him and his team. But unfortunately, his team also included folks like Jen Easterly, the director of Department of Homeland Security, CISA office, the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency, which is ground zero of the whole Missouri and Louisiana case against the government. It's, it does actually literally say against Joe Biden. But uh, Jenny Easterly, and I knew her years ago when she was at NSA, but she was also part of the high-value targeting process uh, with McChrystal. So these are the same cats that uh, weaponized the mass collection system against the, uh, against the American citizen. A little off topic, but I think some important background. But um, I was talking about Mossad. Please remember... The Israelis have experienced 10 to 20 years of relative peace from the battles in the 50s, the 60s, the 70s, and the 80s, and somewhat into the 90s. So much of the cadre of Mossad, the other intelligence services in, in uh, Israel, and, and the military, they're not battle-hardened experts. I don't mean that uh, as a criticism, and I don't mean to in any way malign, but it's just not the same. It's not the same. Back during the day, you had battle-hardened Israelis that knew their very survival, their personal survival, their family survivals. The fate of the nation-state was upon their shoulders, and they acted like it, and they had to. So... I think Mossad was in many ways caught off guard. Some people question that. Say, oh, no, 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 no. But, but, and you got to realize the, the um, perimeter of the Gaza Strip, roughly about, you know, 20, 30 miles on the ground side, roughly 10 miles on the, then you take the corner back to the Mediterranean. Uh, so about 10 miles there, roughly. Then you got the Mediterranean waterfront. Uh, 
there has been a reduced presence, priority, and commitment of Israeli forces. So, you know, uh, you know, you got to remember that never before has anybody, has Hamas or anybody other than Anwar Sadat in 1973, conducted such an immense artillery barrage. And I know a lot of these were homemade rockets, but they've become quite sophisticated and quite uh, quite impactful. They overwhelm the Iron Dome system. And uh, so it, then after the most amount of ordnance fired in the fastest amount of time since essentially 19, the 1973 war, they followed up with actually during the assault, uh, during the barrage, with a ground assault, a sophisticated ground assault, and at least 15 uh breach points on the perimeter so never been done before everybody was hiding in their their safe rooms which has been standard practice well they unfortunately this made they were meant uh that who came knocking literally on their safe house doors uh safe room doors hamas terrorists and they also attacked the at uh, uh um uh, which is where the music festival was at too um, they assaulted. They they directly assaulted one of the first places hit was the whole uh, Gaza district headquarters at Raim. So they then they also conducted a, we would call it cyber and uh, radio frequency jamming, very sophisticated and and honestly just the the border was not what it has been. They were the term the national security term the military term they were accepting risk accepting risk. Unfortunately, this time it was deadly. But okay, got past that. What I really wanted to talk about in this segment was the where are we at now? Now that it appears that uh, all the terrorists inside of Israel have been captured or killed. Um, I don't believe there's any more hostage situations inside of Israel. There has been some forays, some limited forays of Israel into uh, the Gaza Strip. It uh, doesn't look like uh, any hostages yet. I, I, I don't I don't understand that any hostages have been released. Uh, some have been found murdered inside of uh, the Gaza Strip. But where are we at right now? This is the second, essentially the, if you want to call the, the year-long planning phase, that was phase one. The salt was phase two. Now we're in the information battle phase, information battle. And actually... I mean, we, we got to get through our minds, patriots, that we're always assuming bombs and missiles, bombs and missiles. That's the decisive phase. No, it's the information warfare. I mean, I think it's General Flynn calls it the fifth generation phase. Cognitive warfare. That's where we're at. And this is all important. And I... Uh, I had a dialogue on one media outlet where, where the uh, uh, you have to be very sophisticated during this phase or you'll lose everything. You may be militarily the superior in weapons, tactics, techniques, and procedures, and you'll still lose. And the Israelis know this very well because right now it's all about optics and perceptions of the world audience. Optics and perception. You got the crazies, the antifers, the pedophiles that are one in the same with Black Lives Matter squatters and Hamas and uh, Palestinian sympathizers. But this is where you do have to differentiate. And the Israelis have been extremely perceptive of this. We must differentiate between Hamas and the Palestinian population in the Gaza Strip. And I was on one media 
uh, um, event, somebody I, I trust and have great admiration for, but uh, they they wanted to really just group them all together, and that's that's a bad strategy. It's not true. It's a bad strategy. Maybe most of Hamas are Palestinians, but that doesn't mean all Palestinians are Hamas. Okay. So you know, the Israelis know this and have been extremely careful in this, but we had an incident uh, on October 17th where uh, the Al-Ali Arab Hospital in Gaza City was uh, destroyed by uh, uh, rocket fires. Now, the Israelis uh, had already called for Palestinians to move out of this area, the crowded Labyrinthian Gaza city, which is a god-awful mess, worse than Moss Eisley, very deadly, uh, heavily tunneled, just a god-awful mess of corruption, of UN corruption. Uh, all the aid money goes to them is absolutely pilfered, robbed, stolen, and misused. Just a total waste of, of what a total sh shame. Um, the Israelis, and they have two, I've seen two different generals uh, be spokespersons for Israel. They've all been, they've both been very sophisticated, uh, very thoughtful, very deliberate, and very good English. This is very important because who is the target audience? This is, this is PSYOP 101. And everybody goes, oh, PSYOP means you lie to everybody. Hey, I went through the PSYOP course in 1984. And learned right at the beginning and it's been a truism the whole time truth is always the best uh the, the the best recipe and the best ammunition truth so everybody goes i am psyop you lie no that's not true it's actually a very bad idea bad things happen um you must establish legitimacy and the israelis have clearly been trying to do this with their two spokespersons who've spoken very clearly very deliberately and they've spoken to Hamas, they've spoken to the Palestinian population. They have been extremely careful to differentiate. And please, it's a bad idea to automatically group them together. Yes, most of Hamas are Palestinians, but there's also there are there are segments of the Palestinian population that really don't have a choice and want out. And uh, you know, the thought was, well, did we warn the Japanese before we dropped the two A bombs? Well, yeah, actually, we did. Uh, so everybody needs to get that historical fact through their head. We actually did multiple missions, dumped probably millions of leaflets asking the civilian population to move out of Hiroshima and Nagasaki. Did they move? Uh, essentially, no. But we we really wanted to be deliberate, follow the law of land warfare as best as possible. We warned them. We gave them ample warning. We didn't tell them exactly, well, we're going to drop... The first nuclear device, which has a yield of 20 uh, kilotons, and therefore you must leave. No, but we gave them, we let them know that something very horrific was about to happen in those two locations. The Israelis have attempted to do that also in Gaza City. And what has happened? Hamas has set up roadblocks and killed anybody trying to leave. So, Sorry, uh, the Israelis are doing their due diligence and doing their best. Hamas terrorists. Now, we, we have to eliminate Hamas. These are evil, evil terrorists and killers. Okay, no quarter to be given to them. They are to be eliminated. But we're going to have to do this in a very sophisticated fashion. And again, we don't want the Israelis getting caught in a forever war. 
Uh, and right now, the phase, it's the third, let's call it the third phase of the war so far, just in that region, because this is part of something much bigger. This is part of the worldwide conflagration that the arsonist in chief, she, uh, the Emperor Xi of China, is trying to do to distract, to squander our resources uh, so that he can uh, he can uh, move uh, toward Taiwan. And remember, once he moves, he's not stopping with Taiwan. He's coming, he's coming across the Pacific. Next is the second island chain. Next is the third island chain with Hawaii. So, uh, but the Israelis have been extremely deliberate, extremely sophisticated. This is going to be a campaign that takes weeks, months, and years to take get every Hamas member and supporter and enabler to justice. Um, and so it cannot be heavy-handed because the Israelis know very well at this stage, if they come across as uh, clumsy, destructive, uh, it's gonna. It's not gonna end well for the Israelis. So I mean, a lot of people say, "Well, I just bomb everything." And that's a really bad idea. Really bad idea. That's we're gonna lose. The same people who say bomb everything are the same ones who are gonna walk away from this and uh, you know go back to drinking their bowl of loudmouth soup and you know accept no responsibility. So bomb everything is a really bad idea. Um, so they're gonna. Are we gonna put small diameter bombs right on? the forehead of uh, Hamas members. And I mean that almost literally. Yes. Are we going to put hellfire missiles right down their heads in the trajectory of a hellfire missile? Remember, once it's fired, it goes up in the air and plummets down. And during the early days of the war on terror and, 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 you know, I, I was, you know, we're at work both on the American side and we, we were learning from the Israelis that the, the shape charge warhead of the hellfire, uh, well, you know, it's, it's, if you're trying to get the guy in the front right passenger seat of a car, the hellfire is not accurate enough. And when it comes down through the, the roof of that car, it's going to create the, the, the shape charge head is going to create a deadly, horrific pencil-like path of death and destruction. And if you're not in that exact pencil-like beam from the shape charge warhead, probably going to survive and so that's we said okay you know that that'll destroy a tank that'll penetrate the top armor of a tank very effectively but coming through the soft sheet metal of a, of the roof of a car if you're not in that pencil-like deadly stream of 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 molten hell uh your, your your arm might get taken off your leg might get taken off but you're going to survive so we had to go to a new warhead uh, and that was the the swirling blades to kill everybody in a, a broader swath. So when that comes down through the uh, top of the uh, the car, uh, it'll definitely, you know, hit both passes. If it comes down between them, it'll both definitely kill both people in the front seat and yeah, maybe, maybe the, the, the folks in the back seat, but uh, we want accuracy, but not too much accuracy. But this whole episode of the information war, it reminds me of Bosnia. And I did a, did a, most of the 1997, I was in Bosnia. I was up in the you know, multinational division North. Um, and in our sector, we also had the Russians and that's another story, but we also had Tuzla. Well, Tuzla was one of the key battle points of the Bosnian civil war, but in the Bosnian civil war, it became an information war. There was death, destruction, horrific 
massacres and brutality and uh, war crimes, but there was it was really primarily an information war. And part of what happened in Bosnia, and the Bosnians used it extremely effectively against the Serbs, which were considered the evil people. And uh, I didn't consider consider either side good or bad. They were warring factions. And actually, there was multiple factions. You had the, the Serbs, the Croats, and the Bosnians at a minimum. You also had, uh, which I really didn't understand at the time, you had large elements of early Al-Qaeda. Uh, they were very present combatants in the war. Uh, but that's a different story. But I'm talking about the information war and what they what the Bosnians used, they chose a very eloquent, clearly English-speaking person who looked just magnificent on camera. And he was, again, the target audience was not the Bosnians, not the Serbs, not the Croats, not the Chinese. It was primarily the American, the Western audience. So he spoke in very eloquent English, quite effective. There was a number of horrific events where mortar rounds landed in marketplaces. One of them being, uh, it was the 2015 uh, in uh, in Tuzla marketplace, and he had a. It was a large mortar round. Um, uh, the, the Warsaw Pact forces use 82 millimeter mortars, and I think they use a 120 millimeter mortar. But uh, but that I think it was the larger mortar that that's a pretty large warhead that comes down and there was 60, 70, 80 people killed and uh, dozens and dozens more arms and legs blown off. Um, so it was bad. And this was used as a pretext. So this is the information war. Later, it was discovered that that round now immediately it, within within minutes the Serbs were tried and convicted as being the source of that mortar round. Later forensics showed it was very likely a Bosnian round and very likely an uh, unintended uh, Bosnian round that was fired more in a training status or a ranging status, but it was a, it was not necessarily intentional, but doesn't matter. Truth didn't matter. It was where the effect had uh, the the effective outcome was had. Serbs were blamed. The rest is history. So we're in an information war. Be very aware of that. And again, this is an extension of the showdown with China. So this is and the the arsonist chief in disease is she of China. So so just be aware of this. This is Colonel Rhett John, Colonel Ret John, Substack Getter and Truth. Please. Go and get book two in my two book series, War Against the Deep State, Foundations of the Mass Surveillance State and the Unlawful Three Branches of Government. You can also pick up book one, The Nation Will Follow, My Time Fighting the Deep State and the Coup Against Candidate and President Trump. Thank you. Thank you.